There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place this morning. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. Every Sunday, I trust that when we get together to worship the Lord, that the Holy Spirit is present. But uh, there does seem to be a special spirit this morning. It's okay if I say that, isn't it? It just seems, I don't know. I've loved everything about this morning so far. I hope I don't let myself down by the preaching. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to spend some time looking at this this morning. A preacher got through preaching and he uh, went out to the back as he often does and was greeting the people and after everybody filtered out, there were three little boys out there in the, in the lobby, in the foyer, and uh, he asked the boys, he said, do you want to go to heaven? And one of the little boys said, not me, I don't want to go. And the preacher said, what? He said, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And the boy said, oh, when you die, sure. He said, I thought you were trying to get up a group right now. I think a lot of us feel that way. Um, we share that, that little boy's feelings about heaven. Someday it would be nice to go, but I mean, not, not right now. I'm enjoying life so much here on earth. And besides, if we're honest, I think sometimes, maybe because of the way things have been portrayed, I think, honestly, we might think that heaven's going to be a little bit boring um, some of you may remember Gary Larson. He used to write the, uh, the Far Side cartoons. You remember that, Eugene? You remember that? Um, it was kind of offbeat, kind of odd sometimes, but he had one of these cartoons where there was a guy, he had on wings and a white robe, and he had a halo on, and he was sitting in a, on a cloud all by himself, and he muses to himself, and he says, Man, I wish I'd brought a magazine. I mean, that's the way we, some people think about heaven. All eternity, what are we going to be doing for all that time? But the author of Hebrews dispels all those kind of views of heaven by showing that rather than settling in and feeling comfortable here on earth, believers feel out of place. We feel out of place here on this earth. You know, several weeks ago, we had a special prayer uh, for Whitlord's family, for his mother. There is so much unrest uh, in Haiti. I actually, just a couple of days ago, I, I saw some YouTube videos of, of the, the burnings and, and the killings, the burnings of houses, the looting. And uh, it's no wonder that uh, people are trying to escape and, and leave Haiti. We had a special prayer for Marie and for her, her family and for his sisters that are still there and their children. I was asking Whitlord several weeks ago about his mother. I said, how is, how is she, you know, coping with things? Because I know it's tough. And he said, yeah, I said, she's missing her husband and her family. And I got to thinking about that. Everything. 
everything that she's ever known, everything that was comfortable, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the music, the landscape, everything that you've ever known now is different. Yes, she's in a better place. She's here with her family, and she's much safer. We're still praying that, that his sisters and, and family will be able to come. But I began to think about Maria. She's here. Southern Indiana is not home. Everything is different. She doesn't feel comfortable here. Now, as she continues to live here months, six months, a year, maybe another 10 years, maybe until, you know, until she's gone, maybe this will be her home. But it will never be home, home. You know what I'm saying? Because this is not where she's from. This is different. She doesn't feel comfortable here. The Hebrew writer in our text this morning teaches us that we who live and die according to faith, we are exiles on this earth, desiring a better country in heaven. I think in our day, our emphasis is far too much on the good life here and now and not enough on the promised joys of heaven. You know, there were so many, so many of the great songs that we sing about heaven. When you look in the songbook, they were written a lot of times in the late 1800s, maybe sometimes during the Depression era, because people didn't have it uh, all that good. Things weren't going so well. There's an old song we used to sing, living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. Is that true of your life? Hardly a comfort can afford, honestly? I mean, we can pretty much afford most of what we want to. You say, well, I can't buy anything I want to. No, but we enjoy so many comforts. Even the poorest among us, we are so wealthy compared to the rest of the world. That's just not true for us. So many that profess Jesus as Savior and Lord are living with their minds on the things of the earth rather than things above. That's why Paul had to write to the church in Colossae. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things below, not on things of the earth. You've got to have a different mindset. Too many folks are motivated more by collecting treasures on earth rather than storing up treasures in heaven. Our focus is on what Jesus can do for us here and now. You know, heaven's, heaven's a nice bonus after we live a good life here, but it doesn't really govern how we live day by day. But it should. It should. So the first readers of the epistle uh, that we know as the book of Hebrews, they were tempted under the threat of persecution to go back to their life of Judaism, to go back to that old-time religion that they'd always known, if we're reading it in its context. The implication in its context is that to go back to Judaism would be like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob going 
back and permanently living in Mesopotamia, the land that they had left. You see, God had promised them a new country, the land of Canaan, what we call the, the promised land. But being men of faith, they looked beyond just the, uh, you know, a, a chunk of real estate and they saw something different. By faith, they saw a heavenly country that God had prepared for them. The Bible says that they all died according to faith. They were still living by faith when they died, literally. They died according to faith. Faith was the dominant characteristic of their lives. They, they, they didn't live perfect lives. I mean, all you have to do is read the text to understand that these men didn't live perfect lives. But they looked beyond that and they saw something that was invisible. They had eyes of faith. If they had doubted God's promise, uh, the writer says they could have just gone back to their old homeland. They could have gone back where they had come from. But as it is, verse 16 says, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. And so they died well. They died according to faith. <laughs> I made, a, I made a pact with Whitlord's children that there would be no crying in church today. And we all did fist bumps. Whitlord, do you remember that? Grace forgot. She forgot. So, let's look at a couple of main points from our text. We who live and die according to faith are strangers. We are exiles on this earth. So strangers and exiles on the earth have seen and they've welcomed God's promises from a distance. So firstly, we must see God's promises. Before we can believe and trust in God's promises, we've got to see them. And before we can see them, we have to have our, our eyes open spiritually. That's why Paul wrote... In 2 Corinthians, he said, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world, that is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. It's no wonder that we look around and we see all that's happening in our world. Because those that, are, that are, are unbelievers, it's as if the God of this world has just blinded them. They cannot see. They can't see the light of the gospel. My younger sister uh, has twin daughters, my nieces, and uh, one of them, both of them uh, went to Fried Hardeman and, and majored in education. Um, one of them has three children, three children, the oldest two are of school age now, and she has decided, she said, I'm going to homeschool them. I'm, gonna, I'm taking them out. I'm going to homeschool them. And uh, my mom, you know, she's, that, that's, that's not the way they used to do things. She sent all of us off to public school. But mom, public school ain't what it used to be. And so my, my niece, and I applaud her in this, it won't be easy, but she's pulling them out of that because there is so much happening 
at such a young age in our schools because the God of this age has blinded people and they cannot see the light of the gospel. We've got to see God's promises. Faith enables us to prove the things that are not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, look at this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. In this way, Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see Jesus' day? I don't think he's talking about just one particular thing, but, but a, a relationship based upon faith with God. A personal relationship with God begins when your eyes are opened and you see his promise in Jesus Christ and that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We must welcome God's promises, not just see them, but we welcome them. The patriarchs, patriarchs welcomed the promises of God. They greeted God's promises just like they would greet someone and invite them into their tent and show them hospitality. That's exactly the way that they greeted the promises of God. They welcomed them. And I want to ask you this morning, have you done that in your life? Have you honestly, truthfully welcomed Jesus into your life? I love a song that, that's been out on the radio for several years. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I love to pray that. I love to think that when we gather together on Sundays. Holy Spirit, it's not just that we know you're here. You are welcome here. We invite you into this place Fill us, fill our hearts and fill our minds with your spirit. So we've got to welcome God's promises. But we can only see them and welcome those promises from a distance. What does that mean? I think it amplifies this, this opening phrase where in our reading that Jonathan read to us, by faith Abraham, nope, wrong place. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They died in faith without receiving the promises. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15 states that having patiently waited, Abraham obtained the promise. Hebrews eleven seventeen says that Abraham had received the promises. So in what sense did he not receive the promises or only just receive them from a distance? I think the author of Hebrews means that the, the patriarchs didn't receive them totally, uh, a total fulfillment of God's promises. They, they only had a taste they only received a taste of. And that's true for all of us. That's true for each one of us. Unless Jesus comes again while we're still alive, each one of us in this room is going to die. And we will not have totally received 
the fulfillment of that promise, the full consummation of all that God has in store for us. But we will if we have these eyes of faith, if we can see that which God has truly promised. Same is true for all of us. God has promised us eternal life. And yet, like the patriarchs, we only see it from afar. Um, now, I don't mean to say that, that we don't yet have eternal life, okay? Because once we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we enter into eternal life. That's not something that we're just waiting for when we die. You and I, if we are blood-bought, baptized believers in Christ, we have eternal life right now. Did you know that? We've already entered into that. But it's just a taste, a foretaste of glory divine. So we've got to see and we've got to welcome God's promises, even though we can only do so from a distance. I want you to know that seeing and welcoming God's promises will alienate us from this world. The reason that Abraham left his homeland and he, he went to Canaan was that he had seen and welcomed God's promises. If he had, had ignored those promises, he would have just continued to live in his native land. He would have just blended in with everyone else. But because he believed and he obeyed God, he left his family, he left his friends, and the Bible says, verse 9, that he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. I think I've mentioned to you my, my dear friend in Oklahoma City, uh, preacher there at the church where I worked uh, for many, many years. He was a friend and a, and a mentor to me. Uh, he and his wife were missionaries in Greece back in the mid-70s to the mid-80s, about nine, almost ten years. And he, would tell, he, he told a story that there were some there in the church and then some that, that weren't members of their church, but, but they had family members that had moved to America. And those family members uh, were, were working at jobs. Some of them had started restaurants or, or a cleaning business, and they were, were trying to carve out a new life uh, here in the United States. And once that had happened, uh, the family members, they began to sell property. They began to, to sell their furniture. They no longer bought clothes, but they began to live just meager, meager existences. Many of them would, would pull their resources and live together so that they could trim all the fat away, live as frugally as they could, because one day, very soon, hopefully, they were going to get a phone call or they were going to receive a letter that says, the time is now. Get your stuff and move to America. See, once they realized that where they were presently living was no longer going to be their home, they stopped buying property and they stopped buying new clothes and furniture. In fact, they started selling all of that. Why? so they could be, they could be light, they, so that they could travel very lightly to a new country, to a new place, 
a place that, if you will, was being prepared for them. Seeing and welcoming God's promises disrupted the rest of Abraham's life. It messed him up from that point on. He could have just stayed. He could have just blended in. He could have just been another one of the guys in Ur of the Chaldees. But once he encountered the true and living God, it disrupted the rest of his life. People stood and they stared at at them when they journeyed past the villages of Canaan or when they pitched their tents outside of the town. Who are these people? What are they doing here? Have you ever felt like an outsider? I mean, have you ever really felt like you didn't belong? I've, I've experienced some of that when I, when I traveled to Africa, especially the first, the first couple of times when I traveled to Africa. You can try to blend in, but you stand out. Um, you don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. You can't eat most of the food. The color of your skin is different from 99.9999% of everybody there. You, you, you just stick out like a sore thumb. Everything is different. And I've been there so many times now that I've made so many good friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that, that love me and that I know would never put me in harm's way. I believe that they would give their lives for me while I'm there. Even though I know that, I'm still a stranger. I'm still an alien. I don't really belong there. As hospitable as they, as they can be, I don't really belong there. And as Christians, we're supposed to feel that way about living in this evil world. We should not fit in here. We should not fit in. The world pursues different goals and different pleasures than we do. The Bible says that we are to be a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to dress in a weird way. We're supposed to look like the Puritans from several hundred years ago. You know, that's not what God means when he says you're to be a peculiar people. We should be modest, okay? But we shouldn't look weird to the people around us. We're not going to attract people that way. But we should not fit in in this world. We should feel, listen, the longer we walk with God, the closer that we look like Jesus, the more in tune we are with the Holy Spirit, we should feel less and less comfortable here. Amen or no? Strangers and exiles on this earth, we do not fit in. That's why it makes no sense to try and attract the world to Jesus by using worldly methods. <laughs> it makes no sense because we're, we don't fit in with the world. To try to use worldly gimmicks to attract the world 
I just don't get that. But strangers and exiles on this earth have the opportunity to tell others about our new home. The patriarchs, it says, they confessed that they were strangers and they were exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Paul explained in Philippians chapter 3 that we are not like those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Rather, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And since we come from a different country, we talk differently. We act differently than do the natives of this world. And when they observe that we are different, then we should always be ready to give them a reason for the hope that we have. So Peter says, always have Jesus on your lips and on your tongues, ready to give people a reason for what you believe and for the hope that you have. Strangers and aliens on this earth cannot move back to their former country. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You can't go back. Why would you want to go back? We talked about that this morning uh, in, in Jonathan's class, studying the book of Exodus. Time and time again, those who had been freed from the bondage and the slavery there in Egypt, time and time again, they looked back to Egypt and they said, well, at least we had meat pots. At least we had onions and leeks to eat. You just brought us out here to kill us, to starve us to death, to die of thirst. So you want to go back to Egypt? Really? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why would we want to go back to a yoke of slavery, to be burdened by sin, for sin to be our master. Why would we want to turn back? I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. The application is that as believers, we've got to make a break from our old life and from the world. We live in the world, but we are not of the world. Often, I think people look at the church, the world is so sophisticated and modern and the church is just so old-fashioned and out of touch with the latest trends. I pray to God that we will never be in touch with the latest trends. Look around you. Look around you. This world is not our home. We who live and die according to faith, we seek and desire a better country in heaven. The Bible says it's prepared by God for us. The better country we're talking about is heaven. There's a whole lot of questions that we can't answer about heaven because we've never been there yet, so we don't really know. But we can know for certain that heaven will be far better than the best existence that we can have on this earth. 
Every problem that we face on this earth is the result of sin, the fall. Every problem that we have in this life is a result of sin. But in heaven, there will be no curse, there will be no death, there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain. Heaven is going to be beyond, beautiful beyond our imagination. John the Revelator, he said there will be golden streets, walls and gates made out of precious stones, the clear river of the water of life running through it. I think those are just, I think those are just images, just pictures to try to give us some inkling of how beautiful heaven must be. I want you to know that the prepared city is for us. God's preparing it for those who believe in him, who trust in him. Got to take care of business. When, when it hits you, it hits you. The, the, the craziest things happen in church, don't they? <laughs> they just do. The heavenly city will be without sin. You know, in, in earthly cities, you have to put up with rude strangers. You have to put up with filth, uh, with pollution, smog, difficult neighbors, but the heavenly city will be a place of close, sweet fellowship. We used to sing about that when I was traveling. Sweet, sweet fellowship with those that are filled with the love of Christ. We'll never be tempted to sin, and we will never sin in that city because all of that will be gone. I'm rushing through here. I know our time is short. The desire that seeks heaven stems from faith. Verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. It's a country of their own. They desire a better country. When you fall in love with someone, you want to spend all your time with them, don't you? I mean, you can just be cruising along, doing your own thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, that, that attraction, that something, that, that the butterflies start happening, and, and next thing you know, you want to spend all your time with that person, right? You, you act crazy. You do things that you wouldn't normally do. You write poems, and you write music, and that kind of stuff, because you have fallen in love with someone. We desire a better country because we desire and because we love Jesus, because he is our Savior. What Landon shared with us earlier about what Jesus has done for us. We all were lost, ripped from the love of our Father. Strangers, aliens, no way home, without hope, without God. But then Jesus stepped in. God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. 
that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be lost, but we'd have everlasting life. And notice what it says about our Father. Verse 16, I'm in Hebrews 11. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called our God. That's sort of startling when you think about it, isn't it? Sinful men, sinful women, we put our trust, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that God is not ashamed of us. God is not ashamed to be called our God. That's what Peter says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we put our faith, we put our trust in Jesus, it says that God is not ashamed of us. God, so often in the Bible, the most uh, ways that God is referred to is he's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And mostly he's known as the God of Jacob. Jacob probably the least exemplary of the three. And yet God is known as the God of Jacob. Man, Jacob was a rascal of a guy, wasn't he? Read the Bible. But God was not ashamed to be called his God. And God is not ashamed to be called your God if you put your faith in him, your trust in him. I have prayed for myself and for us as a body of people that God would give us a divine dissatisfaction with this life that we would no longer be attracted to the things of this earth, but that we would love what he loves and we would hate what he despises. That the things of this earth, the shiny objects, would no longer attract us, but that we would be drawn into a closer union with him through his spirit and do things as a body of people, together, collectively, and individually, but collectively, we all begin to pull in the same direction. Whether it's, it's, it's talking about our, our mission work and how we're going to glorify God by preaching the gospel to those who've never heard it, whether it's uh, doing service and reaching out and loving people together as a body, whether it's uh, what we're doing with, with young children, how we're fostering and, and, and loving children who have been unloved, that we would be so dissatisfied with this earth that we would long for heaven. Not just that it would be an, a bonus when we die, but that our hearts would ache and we would long to be in the presence of the Holy One.